very much. You might have a situation where the movie was better than the original text. Well done, right? Well done. Um, you can find Ezekiel chapter 34 on page 862. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered, and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but care for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock, so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. There's an organization called Transparency, Transparency International, and each year they release their CPI figures, not consumer price index, but corruption perception index. Uh, they measure levels of corruption right around the world and perceived corruption uh, in different countries. 
Uh, Somalia took the top honour, hang on, no, the bottom honour this year, uh, scoring 9 out of 100 uh, for their levels of corruption. Uh, and corruption in those sorts of countries, it normally starts at the high levels. It normally starts with uh, government officials and it sort of has a trickle-down effect. It seems to begin with the leaders of the country, the president or the government ministers or public officials, and then finally the average man in the street thinks, well, everybody else is in on it. I might as well get my share as well. And that's what was happening in Judea at the time of Ezekiel. The reason that they are in exile is because of the leadership, because of the very people who were supposed to be guiding them and directing them. They are now in serious trouble. So today we come to what is the turning point in the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 33 begins with Ezekiel kind of being given another commissioning. Um, if you have a look at the diagram on the back of your notice sheet that shows you the shape of the book of Ezekiel, uh, things go downhill terribly right from the beginning of the book. They sort of flatten out when we hear the judgment on the other nations, but then the corner is turned and God calls Ezekiel for a second time to speak to the people, to be a watchman, to warn them to turn around. He was told back in chapter 3 that he was to be a watchman by God, and now he's been told the same thing again. But this is a new phase of his work. This is a new role for the prophet. See, chapter 33 is a turning point for a couple of significant reasons. One of them is verse 21 in chapter 33. Chapter, uh, verse 21 uh, says that in the twelfth year of our exile... In the tenth month, on the fifth day, a man who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has fallen. See, this is rock bottom. Things can't go any lower than this. Up until this point, the people hadn't really been listening terribly hard to what Ezekiel had to say. Sure, they probably enjoyed his street theatre, maybe even found it amusing. Uh, they'd heard what he'd been saying, but it just hadn't sunk in. And part of the reason that they haven't really listened to Ezekiel is that they just assumed that everything was going to be okay that everything would work out in the end, that one day they'd be able to return to Jerusalem and everything would be fine again. Now Jerusalem's gone. Jerusalem has been destroyed. Look at how God describes the behaviour to Ezekiel. My people come to you as they usually do and they sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you're nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Jerusalem has fallen, and that changes everything. This will be the news that will rock the exiles. This will be the news that will shake them out of their complacency. This will be the news that strips away any hope that they may have had. There is no Jerusalem to return to. 
But look what God says next. What will happen when they hear that Jerusalem has fallen? When all this comes true, and it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. When they hear that Jerusalem has fallen, they will see Ezekiel in a completely different light. They will know that this man is a prophet. And they'll start to take seriously what he says. But chapter 33 is a significant point, turning point for another reason. From chapter 33 onwards, Ezekiel's message changes. In the face of the destruction of Jerusalem, in the face of all hope being extinguished, God begins to offer hope to these people. With Jerusalem destroyed, the optimism of the people in exile would have been shattered. If there is going to be any hope at all, then it can only come from God. The corruption of some of our world leaders in recent years has been rather staggering, to say the least. We've seen leaders of large nations who have been shameless, brazen in the corruption that they've actually practised in their countries. Uh, they, they seem to think that this man, Sahato, is probably, uh, the, he gets the gold medal for ripping off his own country. He was in power as president for 30 years, and they estimate that the Sahato family amassed something like 30 billion US dollars from the time that he was president of the country. The Sahato family in, uh, were rated in in 1999, by Forbes, has been one of the richest families in the world. And all of that happened at a time when in Indonesia's minimum wage was set at $1.30 a day. It's just hard to believe, isn't it, that a leader could feel that he has this desperate need to amass an absolute fortune while the people that he leads are living on a dollar thirty a day. Seems that Israel suffered from the same kind of self-serving leadership. This is what we read. Oh, not that one. This is what it says in Ezekiel thirty-four. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, "This is what the sovereign Lord says: Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves." Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourself with the wool, and you slaughter the choice lambs, but you do not take care of the flock. The leaders had a responsibility in Israel. They were to look after God's people. They were to help them to live as God's people. They were to care for them. They were to provide for them. And they had failed abysmally. Their kings had failed. Their priests had failed. Now I'm sure that you read a passage like this, there's got to be great warnings in here for church leaders today as well. Because they're not immune to this. Leaders need to take great care how it is that they lead. There's no doubt the potential for the same kind of self-serving leadership in churches today. Money and power can entice people. People enjoy power. It's easy to start out as a leader for all the right reasons and the right motives, but it's also very easy to get sidetracked and start thinking that it's about you 
and forgetting that it's about the people that you're leading. Every denomination, every congregation potentially has the same problem. Leaders who become self-serving, who think that it's all about them. Leaders who think that their position is an opportunity to benefit themselves. I'm sure that's why Jesus gave the example of washing his disciples' feet. I mean, probably the most humiliating thing that he could have done. But he wanted them to know that leadership is about humility and service. I'm sure that's why Jesus told his disciples that they're not to lord it over people the way the Gentiles do. He wanted them to know that leadership is not about power. And I'm sure that's why the cross is the example that gets repeatedly put up before us as the kind of leadership that Jesus showed. Not self-serving, but self-sacrificial. Not arrogant, but humble. The leaders of Israel had been an abysmal failure. But look at the incredible thing that God says he will do. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from, where the, from the places where, they are, places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. It's incredible, isn't it? That God says that he is going to step in. Israel's shepherds have been a complete failure, so God says, I'll do it. I will be the one who leads. I will be the one who looks after them. I will be the one who cares for them. These are extraordinary statements from God. And it goes further. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So how does he do that? When does he do that? There's no surprise, are there? This is what we read in Matthew. When he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it comes as no surprise when Jesus says these words in John's Gospel. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for, my, for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not part of this pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. God criticises the rulers in Israel. He says, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. What a contrast Jesus offers. He's the one who came to strengthen the weak, 
to heal the sick, to seek and save the lost, to guide and lead God's people with compassion. God is promising through Ezekiel that he's going to do something dramatically different, something new. But if this is going to work, it's not just a new leader that's needed. There also needs to be changed hearts in the people. And that's the other thing that God promises in this passage. This is what he says in Ezekiel 36. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Did you notice the two words that get repeated all the way through that passage? I will, God says. God will gather his people. God will make his people clean. God will give them his spirit. God will move his people to obey him. This is the new covenant that Jesus brings in. When we place our trust in Jesus, God promises that he will do those things for us. Make us clean so that we can be forgiven. Enable us to be God's people. Give us his Holy Spirit so that we can live changed lives. New Orleans, September 1985. Summer had ended. It was a great year for the New Orleans Municipal Council. For the first time in living memory, they'd made it to the end of summer and no one had drowned in a swimming pool in the New Orleans Municipal District. They decided to have a party to celebrate. They had the party at one of the pools. There were 200 guests. 100 of them were accredited lifeguards. You can see where this is going, can't you? When the party finished, a few of the lifeguards stayed behind to clean up the pool and it was then that they made the shocking find. There was a body on the bottom of the pool. A man fully dressed, 31-year-old Jerome Moody, he was pulled from the water and they tried to revive him, but without any success. He had drowned while surrounded by a hundred trained lifeguards. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it, that someone could drown when there are a hundred lifeguards within reach. But I suppose that's what can happen when you have human beings in charge of things. We can be thankful that Jesus is the one who rules us. We can be thankful that he never misses a thing. We can be thankful that he cares for us. Let me read you again those words from Jesus. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. 
So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. We belong to Jesus, and there is nothing that we need to fear. He is the one who has laid down his life for us. He is the one who knows us. He is the one who loves us. And he is the one that we should trust in every area of our lives. He is the one whose leadership we should follow. Where do you think you can see that most clearly in your life? Where is it obvious to you and to others that you seek to follow Jesus in your life? What are the choices that you make, the decisions that you make that are clearly shaped by the fact that Jesus is the one that you follow? And what are the areas of your life where perhaps you need to think a little bit more carefully about how it is that you follow him? Jesus is the leader that we trust. Jesus is the leader who has our best interests at heart. Jesus is the leader who knows how we can live life to the full. He's not wanting to lord it over us. He's wanting to lead and he's laid down his life for us as the sheep. And he has come to lead us with compassion. And every day should be a day when we seek to trust and to follow him more closely. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.